This is Big Talk. Michael Glab here, my guest this week in the studio, Ryan Maloney. Ryan is the candidate for City Council District 5, running against Isabel Piedmont-Smith. Ryan, thanks for being on Big Talk. Michael, thank you for having me. Ryan is a working guy. Yes, sir. He's a professional driver, but wait, there's more. Sounds like a commercial. Yeah, it? exactly. He's a student at SPIA. Yeah, I, I think my educational goals have always been to become an attorney, maybe a politician down the track. Didn't think it was going to happen this early on in life, but I decided to give it a shot this year. Aren't students represented around this town? I feel like we are in an extent of we make up half the population of this city. However, I would say that the, the minimum representation level has not been met. We have a city council that's made up of only 35 and aboves. Um, and so there's no real representation of the 18 to 21s that are, like I said, half of the city. The thing is, is we got to start representing everyone at the table, not just 35 and above. Students live here. Yes, sir. Nine months of the year. Right. They're considered permanent residents. Right. I'm one of the 12 month a year residents here. Uh-huh. Uh, I've, I go home maybe two, three weeks out of the year uh, back to Nevada where I grew up to see my parents for Christmas and Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's just about it. There's a lot of us out here that can't afford to travel back all the time and uh, all these voices need to be heard. I mean, especially if you're living here for the majority of the year and you're considered a permanent resident, your voice deserves to be heard on these issues. Give me some examples of uh, the city services used by students. Uh, Well, definitely Bloomington Transit for one. I mean, Bloomington Transit moves a lot of people, same as IU Campus Bus, my former employer. Additionally, I would have to say all the city utilities, all of the roads here in town are used by everyone that lives here. And then lastly, I would probably say social services, such as getting over to places like um, the city council to hear occasional issues that do impact students. You mean, you you saw a lot of response to the parking bill, uh, mainly from the city businesses, but those businesses are largely inhabited by students during the day working there. Tell me what you think about this, Ryan. Sure. You're a, you're a rare political bird. Yes. You're a Democrat who's big on business. Right. I am. The biggest thing is I like to label myself as more of a common sense Democrat in a, in a way. Uh, the reason why is, I mean, our local economy downtown is thriving. It has been for years, and we look around our state and we see a lot of dead downtowns. I, I travel all over the state for my work. I, I, you go into smaller cities like Goshen and Angola and other smaller towns about our size overall, um, and they're dead. I mean, you know, they've got big businesses there, but they're outlying on the city and they're not really contributing much. In fact, I was in Richmond not too long ago for work, and uh, you drive through there, some amazing architecture, Yeah, but it's empty. Most of the windows are boarded up, and you just get out to the freeway, and you forget it was ever there, you know? I wonder what that does to the psychology of the young people growing up there. Right. They say, no hope. Exactly. 
I think that's exactly how you look at it. And Bloomington should be seen as an example for how to do it right. I mean, we've got people that fall in love with our city, much like myself. I moved here in 2016, and I fell in love with this city within six weeks. And the reason why is because there's amazing architecture, amazing people, and great things to do in our city. That's an easy role model to capture, but you got to make sure that you're giving it the good backing of a city council Melbourne, Australia. What yes, does sir. that have to do with you? Uh, I was born there in 93. Ah. Uh, my dad's Australian. My mom's from California. Um, we've moved back and forth a couple times. I moved to the States, to Reno, Nevada, um, where my mom's family is roughly. Um, they're on the California side of the border there. But yeah, my, we moved to Reno, Nevada in 2004. Um, I'd lived until that point in Australia the entire time. Uh-huh. And uh, I've got dual citizenship still to this day. I read a fabulous book called In a Sunburned... I'm going to say it again. I read a fabulous book called In a Sunburned Country Mm -hmm. by Bill Bryson, the travel writer. Yeah. Have you ever read that? I haven't, no, but I've heard about it a few times. I definitely will. Australia? Yes, sir. What a place. It's incredible. It's a gorgeous country. Great people. Now, where is Melbourne on that continent. Everything's on yeah. the periphery, am I correct? Yeah, pretty much. Um, the The major cities, of course, are Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane, Perth, and Hobart. Uh, Hobart is on the little island of Tasmania, but Melbourne what is... What about Canberra? Oh, Canberra, that is the capital the city. Capital? I don't think of it as a major city, though. It's a pretty <laughs> tiny city. Um, it's a lot like, actually, the district in D.C. I mean, yeah. it's a little tiny dot, and then there's nothing around it. Right. But yeah, uh, Melbourne is the southeastern part of the state. I live there for about... Um, Six years before we moved to Brisbane. So, uh-huh. yeah. And then you came to, as you say, the Nevada, California area. Mm-hmm. Was it difficult? Um, it wasn't very difficult. My mom's family is rather big. And on top of that, you know, they're very great people. I mean, they were around all the time. Um, we'd visited several times when I was younger for Christmases and whatnot. But I think it was an adjustment for sure. I mean, I was, what, 10 and a half, 11 at the time. Mm-hmm. So... Getting used to a whole new elementary school system was a little different, and getting kids to stop asking me to say something, because I had the Australian accent at the time, <laughs> was uh, interesting. It's completely gone these days, though, as you can hear. Yeah, yeah. How can that be? You know what? After a while, you get so sick of it, you just go ahead and start putting yourself into like some kind of fake American accent, oh. and it eventually just sticks. And I, I moved back in 20... What was it, 2011? And now I can't get the accent back at all. I've tried. <laughs> now, were there brothers and sisters involved? No, I'm an only child. You were the only child. And the parents are still with us? Yeah, my parents are still here. They're uh, in Nevada still to this day. As I understand it, uh, in Nevada, you went to a community college there called Truckee Meadows? Yeah, Truckee Meadows Community College. Did you have an idea about what the heck you were going to do with your life? Yeah, I mean, at the time, I mean, I've waffled between a few career choices, always ending up in kind of wanting to be an attorney. Uh, But I originally studied at Truckee Meadows. Um, I studied criminal justice Uh for two and a half years. Um, And then I decided to transfer those credits over to uh, IU. I took a year off in the middle, worked in a casino, and Ah. uh, got some money. What did you do there? Uh, I was hotel front desk. So Ah. I worked hotel front desk at an 824-room hotel casino. Oh, come Um, on. I wanted to imagine you uh, shooting those cards up. You know, dealer school is like six months. Oh, Yeah, it takes a little while to get used to dealing all the cards, and then you're watched like a hawk the whole time. So, I mean, like I loved my job in the casino desk. I made some amazing friends. Hi, everyone at Atlantis. Good to see you. At Truckee Meadows, yes, sir. there was an issue. Mm-hmm. 
campus carry bill. Right. Meaning what? What does that mean? So, I mean, when I was in Truckee Meadows Community College, I was a member of the Student Government Association as a senator. Ah. Um, and the issue came up that the state wanted the students' input. Um, actually, the state really didn't want our input, to be honest. But they <laughs> wanted to hear uh, from the students' perspective on a campus carry bill for people to be able to carry concealed into college campuses in Nevada. Uh-huh. Um, so that would be pistols. Right. So pistols, um, basically anything that's concealable yeah. uh, with a concealed carry permit in Nevada. Right. But the big issue was is we fought against it. The Student Government Association and uh, the other major schools in Nevada um, under the Nevada System of Higher Education umbrella uh, they all fought against it except for Western Nevada College because it's more rural and they, oh. they had a bit more of a conservative student government. But yeah, um, we all kind of fought against it because we just didn't think it was the right thing for students to have to worry about having people with loaded weapons in classes. What was the outcome? The outcome was it didn't end up passing through. It was kind of stalled out and then they were going to try and bring it back up, but then it just never passed. So you're telling me today, spring of 2019, there is no concealed weapons carry on campuses in Nevada. Right. That yeah. got you sort of into politics, huh? Right. I mean, you know, my, my little entry as student government senator was a great opportunity. I networked with uh, politicians and other student government politicians from around the state. Um, one of my best friends, she's from University of Nevada, Las Vegas, and I almost transferred there instead of IU, but mm-hmm. I wanted to go a little further out and experience a different part of the country. Mm-hmm. Glad I did, too. Well, you know, speaking of politics, I notice here you are sitting here today dressed up like it's beautifully spring out. It is. It's oh, it's sunny, a nice 78 degrees out. You've got the sticker. Yes, sir. Right above your breast pocket. Yes, sir. I voted today. Yes. You ended up here at Indiana University. Right. You came to the School of Public and Environmental Affairs. Now it's called the O'Neill School. Uh Aha, yeah. And you were studying what here? Uh, I'm studying law and public policy. It's a a little umbrella under the Bachelor of Science in Public Affairs. Mm -hmm. Um, But basically my my career at SPIA has been um, all about community development and urban planning and solutions and then international and national policy. There was a bit of news having to do with allegations of uh, sexual harassment right? Uh, here in Monroe County not too many weeks ago. Right. You went on social media and you talked about that. You said that your dream was to become a lawyer at one time because one of the things you wanted to do was, and I'm going to quote you here, right. help victims of sexual harassment and abuse. Right, exactly. One of my big inspirations for my career back in the day, I'm not afraid to lie, I'm one of those law and order addicts, uh, and Special Victims Unit really kind of opened my mind. Additionally, one of my professors at Truckee Meadows Community College was a prosecutor in child, uh, child um, violence cases. Uh-huh. Uh, and then I recently interned with uh, Judge Galvin over at the courthouse last summer um, in the family law sector. And I think the biggest thing is is there's not enough advocates for people out there that have been victims of sexual assault and violence and harassment. Um, additionally, this is 2019. There's no place for this behavior in our society anymore. Um, we cannot sit by and let it happen, and we can't sit by and let people who are running for office uh, get away with it, more or less. Do you have any ideas about how we can make it easier for victims to come forward? Right. Uh, I think 
A big issue is the fact that there's a lot of stigmatization and shame behind coming forward. Yeah. A lot of uh, victims don't want to be seen as a victim. Yeah. Um, and especially in the case of male victims, I mean, you know, this is a big issue. They don't want to see it as a, as a uh, attack on their manhood or anything like that. The big the biggest part of it though is making sure that they're protected in court. Um, they're not having to come forward and uh, basically see their attacker all over again. We've got to change that in some way. I mean, it's not quite fair to them to have to relieve everything on the stand um, or be doubted constantly by even the prosecutor and the police. Devil's advocate. Right. What about our concept of facing your accuser? I think that's a big issue. I think um, there are other ways to make it happen. I mean, there's court teleconferencing from the jails. Um, Just not having them physically there, I think, would be a big issue because I think a lot of them are afraid of... um, if something happens in the courtroom, if they jump at them or something like that. Uh-huh. I'm not saying that necessarily from our courtrooms here in Monroe County, but um, it's a lot of psychological pressure on a victim. Not only that, here as a student at Indiana University, you have gotten involved with politics. There at the university, you got involved with the Indiana Young Democrats of Monroe County. Yeah, actually, we're separate from the university itself, uh-huh. but I'm a founding member and actually the treasurer of the Indiana Young Democrats of Monroe County. And what do they do? Um, we're basically an organization trying to get people from 18 to 35 involved in politics uh, for the Democrats here in town. Uh, we had an event um, the last major election cycle with Liz Watson, Dan Cannon, and Rob Chatlos. And we had an event down at the Bloomington High School South, right by my house, um, with the Little Democrats Club there, um, where we had a forum for them to kind of uh, voice their opinions on the issues that were coming up in the election. Now, the Indiana Young Democrats of Monroe County, their page says they're the premier youth-led grassroots political organization in this state. I assume there's a Young Republicans group. I would assume so. I haven't heard much of them, and I'm not a Republican, so I haven't looked that hard. Is that the truth? I believe so, yeah. I think, I'm sure there is. I mean, this is Indiana, after all. Now, there's a history of young Republicans here at Indiana University. Right. In fact, uh, a gentleman who worked for the Nixon administration, Hmm. Tom Charles Houston, was one of the originators of the Republican group. Interesting. How about that? That's very cool. Maybe you're going to start some history. You never know. (laughs) Let's go back to your family. Yep. What did they do? Uh, my dad is a uh, corporate attorney. He's worked in the mining industry for um, and defense industry off and on for um, nearly 40 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And is, did this help you think that maybe you want to be an attorney? Um, I think it kind of shied me away from corporate law, but at the ah. same time, definitely. I mean, it, it's been a big impact in my life, I think. What did your mom do? Uh, My mom um, has been a professional singer off and on. Um, She performs with small groups. Uh, But, yeah, she's done that uh, for the majority of the time that I was living at home, though she was a homemaker. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Did she do that in Australia, too? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) She did. She was actually in a country western band because she was the only American. And uh, she once performed as Dolly Parton, which was interesting (laughs) to watch. Lots of sequins involved in that. But, yeah. You used to go to these shows on occasion? Occasionally, not often. Um, I mean, they were very late and I was young yeah. at the time. But yeah, uh, occasionally my mom would bring me along with her on the longer trips because my dad was out of town for work. 
You didn't know eventually you would get involved uh, with a business, uh, the casino business. Right. Uh, that's really a nighttime, uh, in a lot yeah. of ways, activity. And in a lot of ways, my mom's inspired my taste in music. I mean, I've got a very eclectic taste in music, but uh, I listen to a lot of random stuff that she used to perform as well. Now, speaking of work, you drive a bus. Correct. Tell me about that. Sure. Uh, I started driving buses about two and a half years ago now. Uh-huh. Um, I started at IU Campus Bus, where I was trained by uh, some of the senior drivers over there, and I drove yeah. with them for a year and a half. Those are those red buses that everybody's saying one day they'll unify with Bloomington Transit. Yeah, I it's don't see that happening. It's always about 23 years in the future. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we right now, from what I understand, they're, they're in the middle of a... 50-year lease agreement. The The bus yard over off of Grimes Lane is uh, owned by Indiana University, but mm-hmm. the buildings themselves are owned by the city. Uh-huh. So it's a bit of an interesting little combo there. Um, but yeah, I don't per- particularly see that happening, and I don't particularly see that as a good thing to happen. Oh. Um, I like the fact that they're slightly separated, um, just because of the fact that IU services just the campus, and uh, the city gets around them either way. Also, I'm not going to lie, the, the city buses don't pay as well as IU does. IU oh, pays so? about $3 more an hour huh. um, starting for part-time and full-time positions. All right, let's go over a couple of things. What's the best part about being a, a bus driver for IU campus? I think it's the fact that you get to see more of campus that you may not normally see, and it's also a good way to get behind the scenes and figure out how these infrastructure systems work in our community. Um, it's a lot of money and a lot of time to get these things to work. And uh, I mean, buses themselves, they're incredible vehicles to drive. Uh, I don't know if you've driven one yourself, Michael, but um, they're they're great. Um, and I think a lot of people that aren't very confident about driving, by the end of the training period, you'll be very confident. I mean, I can parallel park a bus better than I can my own car. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah. What's the worst part? Uh, the worst part is probably dealing with the, the rush hour parts of the day. Uh, mm. There are parts of our roads that just don't seem to make sense in on campus, at least, uh, especially, um, I hate to say this as a SPIA student, but uh, the SPIA crosswalk right in front on 10th Street. It's, it's a major roadblock middle aye, of the day. Aye, aye. Um, and, you know, getting around the tighter parts of campus like Jordan Avenue in the middle of the day is not easy either. People seem to walk out in front of you and... Uh, a lot of kids with their headphones on don't pay attention to what's going on. That's the frightening part about right. driving around campus. Right. Are the people who are either on their smartphones or just have the headphones on exactly. and are in another world. Exactly. What's the name of the outfit you're working for now? Uh, the company I work for now is Miller Transportation. Um, and what do they do? Yeah, they're a charter company, and we uh-huh. also provide um, line run services for Greyhound. We basically do Greyhound replacement. Um, including through Bloomington right now, actually. Um, but yeah, our, our buses go wherever you need them to go. But the line runs start in Louisville and end in Chicago and go over to Detroit. So now, if I'm not mistaken, you had to repair a bus recently. Yeah, yeah actually, a yesterday. Of days ago. Yeah, the other day. Um, that was a fun time. Uh, <laughs> basically, I had a latch break on my radiator panel, which is about four feet wide at the very back of the truck. Um, rather the bus, and it flew open on the interstate while I was driving down. So that was a little scary, but we made it work. Now, you've driven up to Chicago. Yeah, I've driven far. I've driven uh, as far as Atlanta down south and as far Uh north as Minnesota. You've been around. Yes, sir. And generally, who are the customers? Uh, My customers are predominantly university athletic teams. I was the lead Uh driver for IU football last season, which was a great job. I love those guys. They're all great. 
Um, they also fly, too. Yeah, so we, we transport them between here and Monroe County Airport where they uh-huh. catch a chartered flight. Uh, we also transported them as far as Columbus. Um, and, right. Uh, we drove out to Ohio State, which is a good time. It would seem silly to fly to Columbus. I mean, yeah, but at the same time, a five-bus movement is not exactly the easiest thing. Luckily, wait, wait. we have an escort. You're telling me it takes five buses to move the football team? Yeah. Uh, we Ooh. have we have three buses on the longer runs for just the team because uh, they're, they've got different seating layouts that are a bit more yeah. comfortable for the guys. They're big guys. We all know this. Um, and then we've got you know the coaching staff and some of the uh, visitors that are with them. Now, I'm going to swing you back again. We're b- bouncing back and go forth. Go for it. I'm happy to do it. Current and the past. I've always loved pinball, so when, here we go. When you were in Nevada. Yes, sir. First off, it's Nevada. Got to get you real quick on that. Wow. It's a, it's a pet peeve of our state. Is that the truth? Yes, sir. And I would have thought I was doing the right thing. You were close. Very close. You weren't saying Nevada, but, you know, it's Nevada. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to say it like that from now on. Perfect. All right. Now, here's the thing. What did you do as a kid there? What kind of kid were you? Were um, you running around in mountains or what? Yeah, my parents are very active people, um, so we did a lot of skiing in the wintertime. Mm. Um, we were right by some of the best ski resorts in the country. Uh-huh. Um, and then Lake Tahoe, we did you know bike rides along the trails there. Um, we got out every weekend, more or less, and went and did something. Um, it's my dad's favorite way to de-stress, and my mom and I just kind of went along for the ride, but we enjoy it too. I mean, we have a good time. Now, uh, was the family traditionally Democrat? Yeah. Uh, I think the big thing is is that my mom has always been very interested in civil rights and uh, justice for people of color. And also uh, my father, as an immigrant himself, he doesn't particularly agree with a lot of what the Republican Party stands for these days. So, Let's go back to Australia. Speaking of civil rights, there's a huge problem with how... The Aborigines right. are treated there. Right. There's a lot of, dare I say, hatred. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the the issue has been for a long time that the government, I believe, has just kind of thrown money at the situation, much uh-huh. like with our Native American population here. Yeah. They've just kind of said, just here's the money, go away. Go away. You know, sit in your little areas and be quiet. Um, but do the Aborigines have little areas? In they Australia? do. There's a section of um, the Northern Territory called Arnhem Land, which is basically the biggest um, reservation, almost you could call uh-huh. it. Um, but yeah, uh, there are other areas that are um, in the you know, Northern Territory, Southern South, South Australia, um, and further inland away from the big cities that are kind of cropping up as new Aboriginal territories. You are a former transit driver. Yes, sir. You have spoken to the city council. Right. And I'm going to quote you. You said to the city council, as a former transit driver in our community, transit's a mess. Yes. Why? Uh, I think the biggest issue is we haven't optimized our routes in nearly 10, in fact, over 10 years now. Uh huh. Um, and we haven't accounted for the fact that the west side has exploded um, with population and development. In addition to that, our drivers for Bloomington Transit are constantly running overtime, which is unsafe because they're working additional hours that they shouldn't be. Um, but it, on, on top of that, I would have to say that um, our buses are often in a state of disrepair, um, rather gross inside sometimes. Um, and the, they're constantly running behind schedule because they're hitting traffic and they can't get around it. I think the biggest solutions to these issues would be to optimize our routes 
more effectively than what they're planning on doing. I don't know if you've heard much about the optimization meetings that have been mm -hmm. happening, but the two proposed solutions are not a, a good option for the south side. Um, Which is your neck exactly, of the woods. Exactly, my neck of the woods. And uh, in fact, my stop would be cut, my route would be cut. Um, they're so how do on, you get to work? Right, exactly. And that's the thing. I mean, like currently the four bus, which is right outside of my house and that a lot of people in my complex rely on um, to get around the city. I mean, it's it, it runs once an hour, which isn't good enough in my mind. But also there's no incentive for us to ride it because it takes nearly 35 minutes to get into the city. I mean, I can get in my car. And in fact, today I got in my car to come here and you're just on the south end of the city at 4th Street. And it took me five and a half minutes. Right. So, and that was in the middle of the day. In the middle of the day. I mean, like you know, factor in busy times of the day, like eight and five, and you've got a whole nother ball game of having to get through traffic, which you know, it only adds ten minutes. Now, you were told by some city council members, ah, those people don't use the bus. Exactly, and that's the thing. well, not even city council members, the people doing the optimization. Uh huh. Um, they they told me that. Uh, well, the reason we're cutting, we're planning on cutting this service is because there isn't enough ridership. And I went and said right back to them, the reason there's not ridership is because it's not easy to get on the bus and get places quickly. If you have a car, you're going to go ahead and say, I'm going to just take my car because it's a lot quicker, a lot easier. Um, having to go through all the neighborhoods, wait at the Y for a little bit if you're on the south side, and then go back into the city... Uh, and then maybe switch another bus to just to get out to Kroger on the east side or to go anywhere else. It, it's a lot of work and a lot of time. You've also told the city council that Bloomington Transit is, quote, an inefficient and slow system. Do you it stand is. by that? Yes, sir. I think that, I, I, first off, let me just say our drivers in this community are pretty much phenomenal. Yeah. Um, I've worked alongside a lot of them for, like I said, a year and a half. But the big issue is uh, the the routing does not make sense in my mind. Mm -hmm. I would like to see our routing be a bit more effective, maybe institute a rapid system to get people from the compass points of town in 15 to 20 minutes or less. And that I, I noticed that. What do you mean by that? Basically, I want to see a bus that runs east and west and north and south across our town on the main routes, uh, uh -huh. you know, Walnut and uh, College and Atwater and 3rd um, and parts of it on Kirkwood where it where third is cut off. So in but, other words, have smaller feeder lines go into a larger trunk line. Right. And that's the thing is the larger trunk line will move people quickly and fast and will incentivize people to take the bus instead of their car to work, which again, then cuts down on parking issues in our downtown core. You're a public transportation guy. Yeah. We've got to incentivize it in a way to make it more convenient for people to get on the buses. And until that happens, we still need places for people to park. A lot of our downtown employees come in from out in the county or out in the other surrounding counties to work here in Bloomington. Yeah. Um, and they're still going to need somewhere to put their car. So, And then tourists. We have a lot of tourists that come here for graduation and other major events for the university, uh, especially like Lotus Festival and stuff like that. Um, we've got to get people into our downtown core and parked so they can enjoy these events. And another big issue is density in our community. If we want to talk about sustainability, we've got to start talking about being more dense in the downtown core, and that will, in itself, limit urban sprawl, which yeah. is a big threat to climate yeah. change. Um, so I think right there, it's about being a bit more realistic about these decisions and understanding the underlying issues, not just the surface-level problems. With the South Side, you know, growing the convention center, hopefully soon, 
Um, there's no guarantee that they're going to build a garage there. So, I mean, it's assumed by a lot of the council members that they will, you know, apply to build a garage there. But until As that part of the expansion, right, until that comes through, separate from the 4th Street garage. Right. Until that comes through, though, I, I mean, we got to address the, the issues as we know them. La, 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 la. We've run out of time, so join us Monday for Big Talk Extra during the 5 p.m. daily local news for more of this conversation. Ryan Maloney? Yes, sir. He's a bus driver. He's a student. He's a candidate for City Council District 5, running against the incumbent Isabel Piedmont-Smith. Ryan, thanks for being on Big Talk. Thanks so much for having me, Michael. I've had a great time.